Welcome to Disability Done Different, and this time, it's different. I'm Roland Nofala, my co-host for this special series of three episodes is Sally Coddington. We've got a cheesy sort of film noir, private investigator type theme going, and we're doing business case investigations. We're looking at services and particularly people that are thinking differently, that are taking the sector in places that are interesting, that are profitable, hence the business case investigation piece, and that we think you'll find highly enlightening. Enjoy. Business case. Investigations. Brought to you by DSC. Episode 3. What exactly is in that secret sauce? And the last brief in our BCI trifecta is for Sally and Roland to investigate a lead with Dr. Kerry Bull, most recently of Noah's Ark, probing the case, is it possible to run a successful NDIS business where transdisciplinary teamwork is the MO? AKA, does teamwork make the dream work? Do you accept this assignment? Yep, I want to find the secret source. Let's crack it. Welcome, Kerry Bull. Welcome to our podcast, and thank you very much for giving us some time. Uh, good to be with you. And Kerry, can you tell us a, a bit about your background? I'm going to fill it out as we go, but you've got a fascinating background, and particularly in the early childhood intervention sector. So can you tell us a bit about it? Yeah, I've been uh, in the early intervention sector for decades, but probably it's important to go back to um, before that. Um, I was an early childhood educator and uh, I think it's important to say that because it's my roots, uh, it's what I draw on uh, all the time is being a, an educator, understanding about how young children learn and develop. So uh, I was a kindergarten teacher for a number of years um, with the intent of moving into special education. My parents uh, counselled me to understand about childhood development before I began to understand the complexities of um, working with children with disabilities and their families, and I, I think it was good advice. So my postgrad studies were in special education, and I moved pretty quickly into the field of early childhood intervention. Uh, and I've been in a number of roles over many years. More recently, uh, I was the uh, Director of Services and Research and Development even more recently at Noah's Ark, which is a large uh, statewide early intervention program. Uh, and now I'm a consultant, so I do a, a range of work with a range of people. So I'm in a, a really lucky position at the moment of being able to, to diversify. When I was talking a bit about Sal and how pleased I was to have you on the podcast and, and talking about your history, I was saying you could be an academic if you chose to be. There's a, certainly an academic stream in the way you think and, and what you do. That That's accurate, isn't it? Yeah, I, I spent some uh, years in academia. I worked at both Monash University and University of Melbourne uh, for a couple of years, um, particularly while I was doing my PhD Um and that work was related to the field of autism. Um, but I've probably broadened out uh, considerably since then and, and really thinking more about um, the research to practice interest um, in the field of early intervention. I love the fact that you started as a kindergarten teacher because, um, and I'm curious to see through our discussion um, how that reflects on, on what we discuss because quite a few of the people that we've spoken to, Roland, 
in this series, this podcast series, actually started at the front line. Um, and 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 I, I have a feeling that that experience gives you a really unique perspective on how to make things work at the front line. Yeah, so, I, yeah, I think you're right, Sally. I think you'll you'll hear it's it's the core of me. Yeah. <laughs> it's what I call on all the time is my understanding of how children learn and develop. So a lot of what we want to talk about with you, Kerry, is about key worker transdisciplinary teams with a holistic family community focus. And if we start off saying that, I think half our audience has just turned off because it sounds pretty um, esoteric, maybe even wanky. But can you talk a bit about your journey to key worker transdisciplinary teams, when it started evolving? And tell us, maybe start off by telling us what it is. Uh, talking about what it is is probably a good a p- good place to start. It's a hard word to even get your mouth around, isn't it? Let alone understand it what it is. Um, so I'll, I'll start with that. Most of us have had experience with multidisciplinary teams. Uh, we understand, and certainly in the early intervention uh, context, we understand that this is typically a team of therapists, uh, an occupational therapist, speech pathologist, um, physiotherapist, and typically a psychologist and special educator. And in a multidisciplinary team, uh, they'll uh, work uh, together with a a child and family. The transdisciplinary team is really building on that. And that is that the team is working much more closely together. So they're sharing um, uh, goals with each other. They're all working on the same thing with the child and family. Uh, They're sharing uh, their assessments. They're sharing their notes. They're working closely as a team. But there's a few other things that really differentiate a transdisciplinary team. One is, and it's really critical, is that the parent is a member of the team, an active, equal member of the team. And I'm talking parent here because, of course, we're talking about little children. Um, So the parents, uh, they're in the team um, working uh, with the group of therapists in the best interest of their child. And the other thing that differentiates a transdisciplinary team is typically that one of those therapists will be nominated as a primary therapist. And in Australia, we typically call that primary therapist a key worker. Some people misunderstand the term key worker as being a service coordinator. But we have to remember that the key worker is a therapist. So they are providing therapeutic supports uh, for the family to help their child to thrive but they're also uh, doing some other things. So they're the therapist. They are providing service coordination. They're also doing some other things like supporting advocacy, uh, providing emotional support if the family's uh, seeking that, uh, providing information and resources for the family. So their role is multifaceted, but they are a therapist. Um, and they are the key therapist that the family will be relating to. So for some families, that might be the only therapist that they're having interactions with because that therapist meeting their needs. Uh, and for other, te- other families, they may be involved with more members of the team. 
but that team is working very closely together, sharing information and resources so that they're all developing their skills and supporting families in a more holistic way. There's so much in that, isn't there? I want to focus just for a moment on the on the team element, um, although we could unpack that in so many different directions. But just starting on how what's it, what is it? What's the secret sauce that keeps that team together and makes them work well? Um, obviously, as a group of people that have invested very heavily in their uh, individual um, skills and experience to actually come together and be able to work as a team, what what does it take? Yeah. A secret source. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, I think a secret source for me has probably two important elements, both the what and the how. So if I can talk about the what first, the what is really about the processes that are in place. So the processes for working in this transdisciplinary way as a team means they need to have ways of thinking about how they refer to each other. Um, how they might conduct joint visits, how might they do case consultations within the team and how do they manage team meetings so they're all learning from each other. So that's part of the what. The other part of the what is about um, the practices or the principles upon which the team is working. So are the principles around family-centred practice, for example, are there principles around inclusion and participation or developing the capacity of families to raise their children? So that's the what. But I think equally important in your secret source <laughs> is um, the how. And that is, how are the team going to be together? And when I've seen this working really well, uh, the team has had uh, a working together agreement. They've spent time together talking and thinking about how they're going to be. How are they going to develop a culture of learning? How are they going to develop trust and respect within the team? And they document that and they refer to it. So they've got something that, if you like, uh, calls them to account if their behaviour is not in line with that working together agreement. But more importantly, it gives them something to strive for and a kind of unity about how they're going to work as a team. How much of that do you reckon is nature and how much is nurture? And I guess what I mean there is, do you think that there are some people that will just never fit into a multidisciplinary team model? Um, or do you actually think that you can create an environment where anyone can work as part of that model? And can I take make that a double barrel question, Kerry? And the people least likely to work in the multidisciplinary, transdisciplinary model are the younger therapists that don't have enough experience under their belt. Is that part of the answer? Oh, look, I think I think that's quite a complex question. I, I, it's not my experience that we've got demographics like older or younger that are that are true believers, if you like, in, in the model. Yeah. Um, but it's certainly the case that. Uh, depending on the uh, undergrad or postgrad training that you've had, and and very few universities are really addressing this issue of what it is to be working in the early intervention field. If you haven't been exposed to that um, 
learning, then the default position is perhaps the traditional approach. And the traditional approach is one in which we work in multidisciplinary teams, in clinical settings, um, uh, working in a therapeutic way with a child rather than building the capacity of the family. So I, I think um, where I've seen this working best, where staff have been brought on, is that there's been uh, a leadership team that's committed to the model and they've really been able to support uh, staff to learn about why the model is so critical. And for me, that's not so hard. If you look at the research, if you think about how children learn, then the model is a perfect fit. Uh, so... Um, I, I think it is true that there's some uh, clinicians who find it an easier fit than others. And certainly we've seen this in the NDIS. We've seen movement in the field because of uh, people feeling more comfortable with one uh, way or the other. If we go back to the research, uh, it's a no-brainer. And I'm going to throw something else in just in terms cool. of your secret source, if that's okay. Yeah, there's, there's an essential ingredient to your secret source, and that is uh, the team remembering that the, the family's uh, central to the team. So I just wanted to, to remind us all that in this model, it is all about the family. I'm, um, I'm interested, and I'm not sure if you're ready to take it there yet, Roland, but at some point I want to ask you, Kerry, about whether or not you think that it's a model that can be applied elsewhere in the disability space, whether that's with adults or whether it's with support teams that aren't allied health practitioners. Um, do you think that it's a model that can be applied, um, for example, with uh, not university qualified workers? Uh, I haven't uh, considered that uh, a great deal. What I can say is that the model has come from the early intervention field for a reason, and that is that it's um, evolved from our understanding of how children learn and um, children within the context of their families. So if we if we understand those two things, then the, the, the model makes good sense for young children and their families, because we're seeing the family and is central to the way in which we're working. And we're not adding stresses to family by uh, bringing in a whole range of uh, clinicians to work with them. Mm -hmm. And we're understanding about how children learn by uh, being with the people they spend time with, doing the things that they enjoy uh, in the places that they hang out. Mm. Uh, so the model has come from the early intervention sector for that reason. But I'm really curious about how it's evolving at the moment because of the NDIS. Uh, and that is that there's um, quite a number of early intervention services that historically worked with children 0 to 6 in the key worker model. And they've now extended service provision to work with children up to the age of 12 or 18 uh, to be viable in the NDIS. And what we're seeing now is that families who have experienced the key worker model, perhaps when their child was three or four, are now who's still with services uh, when they're six or seven, 
are saying, yeah, I want to stick with this model. I want one primary provider that I'm relating with. I want a key worker who can come and support my child's learning at school in terms of consulting to teachers and so on. I want a, a key worker therapist who can come to uh, the soccer um, training on a Wednesday night and help my child be participating in those community events. And so what we're seeing is this merging from a model that was happening in the early years uh, and it's creeping up into the middle years. So I'm, I'm really curious about what that means in terms of uh, an evolving model. Uh, but I, I'm not aware of it um, being used in, in other circumstances with adults, for example. I, I have a habit of getting stuff a bit half-assed, but I would have thought there's a lot of opportunity if you talk about, um, you're talking about child and family, if you're talking about adults, adults in community, and a, a model that supports adults in a much broader um, sense. And Sal, could you talk a bit about um, what you've been talking about recently about curating teams and then we'll see how that bounces with Kerry? So um, something I commonly talk about is curating support teams, um, where support workers are chosen because of, of something unique and important that they bring to the relationship it can be really, really diverse. So it could be something like um, I'm, I used to be a nurse and I have a passion for preventive health. I'm, and I'm thinking specifically around um, Nikki's curated support team that it was really helpful as part of her support team to have someone who understood what to do when you get a pressure sore or, you know, what, what's a good cough, what's a bad cough, what's a good rash, what's a bad rash. It's just one of those helpful things, not just for Nikki, but for us as a family. And then you might have somebody else on the team who's there specifically because they're very cool. They wear the coolest clothes. They go to all the cool gigs and you want your teenage child to um, be part of that world. So you engage someone. And so the team is very carefully curated. Mm -hmm. um, I love the idea of taking it to the next step, which is having someone who's part of the team who could also manage the team as well. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, I think that, that it has lots of implication, uh, applications, but I even think like even just in the allied health space, I think it's got a massive potential for um, uh, young adults and older adults because you know, particularly people who have complex um, disabilities and health needs, you know that their, their allied health needs change so dramatically over time. And it's so yeah. difficult as a family or a support network to stay on top of yeah. that. Mm. And I think, you know, I would go as far as to say that I think that's one of the reasons why people with complex disabilities and health needs have such a low life expectancy is because we don't have that transdisciplinary support right through the life as that person, yeah. you know, changes. Yeah. I'm, I'm really interested in what you're saying because it, it, what it talks to me is about what the language I would use around that is having a developmental approach or developmental understanding of that, that, um, children, young people are growing and their needs are changing over time. And so you need a responsive uh, uh, model. And I think the 
the transdisciplinary key worker model can and should be that. It's not a static uh, model where a key worker is nominated when a child's two and that is how it is for the, the rest of time. Um, it needs to be much re more responsive in the ways you're talking about, Sally. Yeah. And the way that the NDIS is, is funding allied health for adults at the moment, it relies on the family or the support network to know what's needed when it's needed. And that is it's too much we don't we don't know yep I, I think that's uh such a critical issue one that's uh really dear to my heart and I'm spending a lot of time thinking and trying to better understand this at the moment and uh you you would appreciate that I'm particularly interested in that for uh young children uh in the early years where families are perhaps uh just uh, beginning to get a diagnosis or understand that their child has a lifelong developmental disability. Uh, they're adjusting to that and they're thrown into a world of choice and control uh, where we haven't got uh, good provisions for helping them make informed decisions. And uh, that's a real worry for me that uh, we're, we're, we haven't got that sorted yet. Uh, we haven't got a system for uh, helping families. I, I think this is where the key work role can really help too, is that when a, a family is hooked into a service where they've got a key worker who's got a holistic understanding of child and family and the sort of services and supports that are available for them, that they can help them navigate that and more importantly, help them uh, start to develop a, a framework for making informed decisions in the future. Kerry, that sort of takes us back to the journey issue too. So back in the early 2000s, Noah's Ark, where you were working at the time, was looking at the international research, was developing the sensational model, was really starting to get on top of its game. The Victorian government was listening and funding it, and it was really starting to sing, and we felt like it was going to grow. And then the NDIS came along and, and literally put a bomb under the model. And where are we now? And, had, you know, is there any bitterness about what's happened over the last decade? <laughs> yeah, well, I think you've, you've summarised that quite nicely, Roland, um, in that we have seen significant shift and impact of the NDIS uh, on the model. And you can hear from me that I'm a, a true believer of the model, but I also uh, would say that the model's being interpreted in a colourful array of ways. Uh, so when we talk about the key worker model, we can see one service from another is interpreting it in, in very different ways. Um, where I've seen it work best is uh, where they've got a, a comprehensive and responsive way of uh, delivering the service, and that that has evolved over time. But in response to your question, where we sit with it now with the NDIS is, you know, the the latest price guide uh, names key worker. So the NDIS is uh, owning uh, that. Uh, they commissioned the national uh, guidelines for best practice, and the uh, those guidelines clearly talk about the key worker model. So there are guidelines for service providers about good practice and how they should be providing the service. Um, the NDIS is also, as I understand, uh, providing training for early childhood intervention partners in the approach so that they can talk with families about it. But... Uh, 
as you say, Roland, there was a bomb put under the model for a period of time there, and certainly um, we're we're having to work hard to uh, both maintain and grow the the model. I think uh, because it is a, a model that's evolving. It's almost a lost decade, but I think one of the great hopes is that it's an insurance scheme. Ultimately, it's driven by um, cost savings. Ultimately, cost savings are driven by um, the best possible um, capacity building and programs. And the mm -hmm. research shows that that's what the transdisciplinary worker, key, key worker model is. So eventually, and they get, you're saying they're starting to get there now, but they'll probably mm -hmm. get there big time. It's just a pity um, for people like you that have worked so hard to have taken one step forward, two steps back. So Yeah. yeah. So coming back to the professionals mm -hmm. in the team, um, how do you get them to focus on things outside of their discipline? Well, for me, I, I go back to thinking about that any practitioner working with children needs to think about children within the context of their family. And this is not new thinking. You know, we had uh, Broffenbrenner provide us with an ecological framework where we were thinking about children within a family and a community over 40 years ago. And so uh, because it's not new thinking, um, we should be understanding that this is core to all the work of a paediatric therapist, uh, that we can't be defined by a narrow uh, discipline-specific knowledge. We, we definitely need to uh, develop our technical skills in our profession, but we need to broaden that. And uh, that's what happens as a professional over time. We develop skills and, and knowledge and we learn from our colleagues. And if you've got good structures for managing teaming, uh, then you can learn from each other. That doesn't mean that you're uh, letting go of your own professional uh, expertise or, or therapy background, it means that you're building on that within the context of thinking about child development uh, and children within a family. I think that leads us towards, if, if we're seeking to promote this model and there's conditions that support it to work better, are there any of those conditions that um, people listening to could start working on just to start their teams working more in this sort of approach? Yeah, I, I think for me, uh, it comes back to a question of the leadership team, um, that you need to have a leadership team that uh, both understands and believes in this model of service delivery. And to understand it, uh, we need to just go to the research about child development and about uh, family functioning and that's clearly described in the national um, best practice guidelines. So if you've got a leadership that really understands and believes in the model, then that's, that's, your, that's your first uh, base. And then they need to be thinking about systems and processes for, for really embedding it in the organisation. And I, I, I would say that... Um, the best place to be doing that is going to colleagues, um, other services who are implementing it well and learn from them. Um, there's some beautiful models of uh, key worker around the country and 
if there's one thing that I think is important right now is that we collaborate, we work together, we see each other as not as competitors, but um, uh, colleagues who can help each other to uh, improve the, the service system. So I think having, um, uh, leaning on each other, learning from each other. The other thing that I think is probably really critical to say here is that parents um, are such a strong voice about this. We can learn from families about it. Families that have experienced the key worker model and are sticking with it through to their children's middle years, they can be our best teachers in terms of telling us what works, uh, how we should be responsive, responsive in the model, how we should adapt things to better meet their needs. So that, that would be my, my advice, Roland, about how, how to support services to, to, to work in this way. I know you well enough, Sally, to know your brain's going in about 17 different directions right at the moment, quite excited about what you're hearing. Sally, when you think about what Kerry's saying and when you reflect on what we talked about with Kate Fulton and Richard Orr around teams and leadership and emergent stuff, what is going through that brain of yours? Well, so so I've got my mum brain happening at the moment and my mum brain um, and... My mum brain um, isn't focused necessarily on Nikki in her earliest years, but across all of her years. And so Nikki was uh, 13 when she died. So it would have applied just as much then as it, as it would have younger. But we're so fucking terrified as families. We want to be involved and we want to support our children, but we don't know where to put our efforts. And so the idea of having a team that supports us to support our child is um, I, I can't imagine that it would have been any less valuable when Nikki was 25 than it was when she was three. Um, so I think that, um, I think, that it, yes, you're right. I'm buzzing around thinking, did I have a transdisciplinary plenary team? I'm not sure that I did, but I would have really, would have really loved one. It would have made a huge difference to, to my wellbeing. Um, as a mum, and I know that my well-being had a huge impact on Nikki's well-being. Yeah. Is that where you were expecting me to go, Roland? Yeah, that was fantastic. It was fantastic. Yeah, um, yeah and Sally, what you, what you said so beautifully there too was about uh, a team who's supporting your capacity to um, help your child, or, um, and, and that's what it's all about. Let's finish up, Kerry, with that classic question. Looking back, and it, it is interesting, we do ask this classic question of you because there's, it's been a pretty tumultuous road for the approach. What, what's one thing you would do differently over the last um, couple of decades? Wow. <laughs> I, I, I think probably I spent a lot of efforts uh, thinking about how to support staff and teams with the approach. What I didn't spend enough time thinking about was how do we support families to understand the approaches so they could make informed decisions. And I say that in the context of, I don't think we as a sector uh, have had a Oh, a communication plan, if you like. We haven't had a way of thinking about how we talk with families about this model in simple ways. And we haven't had ways that we can help families make good decisions. 
so we're throwing people into a world of choice and control uh, uh, at an, a stage when their child's very young, they're adapting to their child's disability, and we're not, we haven't got a framework for helping them to make, make those early decisions. Um, and Sally, you've talked about this a little bit with your mum hat on, and I think that's what we, what I think I would do differently. I would put equal weight towards how I'm supporting uh, staff in the model. Uh, but also thinking about what this means for children and families and the way in which we communicate that and help them make good decisions. So Sally asked you at the start of the podcast about how kindergarten teaching might have affected um, your overall persona now. And one of the answers to that is you're a drop-dead wonderful presenter. You explain stuff in ways that um, makes it very easy for me to understand, to improve my knowledge. I've been around you and early childhood intervention for 25 years and I always learn every time you're speaking. Um, thank you so much for spending some time with us. I'd love to invite you to do a webinar with Sally. Hey, I, told a... you, I told you it'd be a recruitment <laughs> drive. It, it, it always is, but we've got an audience <laughs> of 65,000 and we could do this webinar for families and um, the two of you just talk about... Um, ECEI 101, Key Worker Transdisciplinary Model, you know, just spit it out and we'll give it away. We'll pay you to do it and give it away. Well, firstly, um, thank you, Roland, for your, your kind words. You're very generous. And secondly, you're incorrigible. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I, I, I take that as a compliment. <laughs> I was just going to say it's it's been a real pleasure talking uh, with you about it and and Sally you in particular have really extended my thinking in in terms of our children as they grow and develop and and what the model might mean in the adult years so thank you both oh no thank you you know I'm just thinking about like just just off the record just you know I mean obviously Nikki died of of chronic um, lung failure um, which was obviously a result of her disability over time. And so, you know, these issues only, for, particularly for girls, they only start really having an impact on health at around 12, 13, you know, when scoliosis starts getting bad and all that kind of stuff. I think that the model has to extend beyond early childhood because the, the most terrifying time, I reckon, is puberty and, and beyond, you know. Well, if you think about it in the context of um, what's most supportive for families in terms of quality of life and, and stress and so on, mm -hmm. if, you've got, if you've got one or two key therapists in your life who you've got a good trusted, trusting relationship with, as opposed to having half a dozen people come into your life, um, then it just makes sense, doesn't it, mm -hmm. uh, in terms of good, good comprehensive support for, for families in, in raising their children. Yeah. Thank you so much, Kerry. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Uh, thank you. Great to work with you. So, Roland and Sally, do we have a business case? This one was a bit trickier, Sal, because we weren't focused so much on the operating model for a business as a particular approach to transdisciplinary teams. But I thought it gave us a really strong insight into how we could grow some stuff that's working in ECI outside. Do you agree? Yeah, that's right. So I was a bit concerned at the outset because I thought that we were going to have a conversation that would not be broadly useful. But I am really excited about the potential for 
transdisciplinary teams, that's easier for you to say, um, to be more broadly appropriate beyond kids and their families. What I loved about it is when we got talking about the secret sauce about, and she talks about the what and the how of making teams work, about getting people to work more holistically. And she talks about processes and practices and principles and the culture of the organisation. And again, all the clues and all the evidence show that she's really, and the organisation she's worked for, really put an evidence base under what they do. And you can be pretty confident that if anybody's got a business case for success in this space, it's them. So for me, it's a, it's a big tick to have they got a business case. What about you, Sarah? Oh yeah, so we absolutely have a business case, but I think we also have a model that is transferable beyond early childhood, early intervention. It's kind of exciting, isn't it? It totally is. I want to encourage organisations who are listening to the conversation to think about how you can uh, take a model that is so clearly successful in one space and apply it more broadly elsewhere. It's very exciting. So, Sal, Kerry was the last of our cases and our first three cases as the team of business case investigators. Shall we continue on? Absolutely. This has been so much fun. Um, and uh, it's come at a really important time for me where I need a little bit of inspiration that there is a lot of exciting stuff happening. It's just yeah. awesome when you can find people that we can all learn from, that the industry can learn from in a time of really big change. And really good people too. Yay. I wanted to be my friends. I totally, I've already decided they are my friends. <laughs>